Laurel Lee is a former public defender, federal prosecutor, and circuit court judge who became Florida's Secretary of State under Governor Ron DeSantis in charge of elections. Today, she talks about how to bring Florida election standards to the rest of the nation as one of Congress's newest members. From Ballard Studios, it's 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the faint party. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Laurel, welcome to D.C. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. How does it feel? I mean, this is first couple days orientation, right? Well, there's a lot to learn, and it's been a great opportunity for all of us to get to meet the other members of our incoming class. Justin, do you think she looks, you know, three days in, she's seasoned? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I can't imagine what a whirlwind it's been, but we're happy to have you here with us. And I want to talk about a few different things, but one of the things that I was kind of fascinated with this election cycle was... Some of our Republican candidates did very well, others not so well. You have an incredible resume. You've been a federal public defender. You've been a federal prosecutor. You've been a state circuit court judge. You were the secretary of state for the state of Florida. Now you're stepping into a completely new role in Washington, D.C., in Congress. Which of your previous experiences do you think has prepared you best for being a member of Congress? Well, certainly, you know, each of them prepares me in different ways. My background in law as a prosecutor, a judge, you know, certainly that gives me a great perspective on the significance of making law and the impact of how it affects us in in very real terms out in the community. And Secretary of State was a whole different set of experiences that I think I will, you know, will bring to bear valuable lessons here. You know, in particular, I had the opportunity to get to be a senior part of Governor DeSantis's administration during and after the pandemic. And during that time, it really was an opportunity to see just how vital it is to have the right policy leaders making decisions. Uh, you know, that we were able to do great things, you know, keeping our economy strong, keeping businesses open, keeping children in school. Uh, you know, so for me, it was great insight into just how important it is to have the right people in those places during critical times. And of course, we also had a very serious mission of, you know, not only securing elections, keeping our election integrity high, but communicating that to the public. Mm -hmm. And I think that crosses over to really any public office is, you know, the first step getting it right, but then also ensuring that what you're doing is being communicated effectively and accurately to the public so that they can have that confidence in what you're up here doing. Right. Well, I want to actually advance into elections because you brought elections into play here. We have a clip from Steve Forbes where he talks about elections and he talks specifically about comparing Florida to California, where I think the count will go on till around the year 2027. So let's cue to Steve Forbes. I want to get your reactions to this. For a fair and highly efficient election process, Florida is the model, the gold standard for election management. It's the third most popular state in the country, and along with Texas, the fastest growing. Nonetheless, the ballots in the Sunshine State were all counted within hours after the polls closed. 
no fuss, no big court challenges. That makes me feel really good because I remember, Laurel, back to 2000 when I was in the middle of the scrum on the recount. And now you fast forward 22 years, we are kind of the role model for the country in how elections should run fairly, efficiently, and in a way that reinforces public confidence. How does that make you feel as the former Secretary of State now? And uh, what kinds of reforms led to that kind of situation where Florida is without equal? Well, you're absolutely right. Florida was not always the national leader when it came to elections, and, and it didn't happen overnight. I'm, of course, incredibly proud of my colleagues at the Department of State having had the opportunity to lead the Department of State and the work that we did with local election officials to make this possible. And, and it really comes down to you know three critical things. One is having the right elections code having laws that make sense that enable you to conduct those efficient elections. Uh, Second, elections infrastructure, investing in the right equipment and tools to be sure that at the state and local level, they have the things they need to actually do the logistics and conduct the elections. And then the third, and something that we worked on very extensively during my tenure as Secretary of State, uh, is cybersecurity and infrastructure security, Hmm. making sure that we are keeping all of the things, equipment, and people that are associated with our elections process safe from those who would seek to interfere or do us harm. Has that become more of an issue? cybersecurity of elections? Certainly. Uh, You know, and I think that really cuts across sectors and industries. That is the new frontier for criminal behavior. And every single day, we defend against foreign threats, domestic threats to our elections infrastructure. And it's interesting because it's one of those areas where if you are working at this every minute of every day and you're winning every minute of every day, no one will ever hear about it. And that's something that we really prioritized and invested in uh, during my tenure as Secretary of State, uh, and it has been well worth it for us. I can tell you, for everyone in America who's looking for a shot in the arm, that elections are being counted properly, quickly, and well. You're owed a debt of gratitude and being one of those paving the way and doing just that. And there's some really important policy measures that we put in place in Florida that certainly could be replicated in every state. So, you know, we have voting by mail, early voting, and in-person voting in Florida. So we have all three methods available to voters, but all of them are designed in such a way that they're kept secure and we can be confident in the integrity and the security of those ballots, however they come in. And then we require ballots to be received by Election Day. Uh, with a very narrow exception for our military and overseas voters. We require all those ballots to be with us on Election Day. So there is no postmark and receiving of ballots for days and weeks after elections. Uh, And we also canvass them when they come in. So we don't wait until Election Day to start checking whether a ballot meets the legal requirements that are applicable. So because of that, even though we have a very robust vote-by-mail aspect to our Florida elections, we're still able to get those results the same day. And that is an essential part of public confidence, that they're not waiting for ballots to come in and waiting to figure out who won elections days and weeks later. Well, you know, Florida, I think, set itself apart in terms of how it counted the vote. It also set itself apart in terms of sending a larger delegation of Republicans to Congress. The vote count, ultimately, we now know as of this recording that the Republicans are projected to take control of the House of Representatives. 
and Florida will be sending four new members into the Republican caucus, along with veterans like Vern Buchanan, Gus Bilirakis, Mario Diaz-Balard, who have seniority and are up for leadership positions, uh, which will be decided in the coming weeks. What does being a member of this new class of Republicans and also having working with these veterans in Congress, what is that going to mean for your ability to be effective for those you represent? Well, it is so important to us to have those experienced members who've been here and who have been wonderful. They have been very engaged. They've reached out. They've spent time with us. Both Congressman Diaz-Balart and Congressman Buchanan have spent time with me and the other new members talking about, you know, what are our aspirations? What's important to the people living in our district? And where do we think we you know, want to serve and how can we best serve? So it's a great combination of having other new members in our class that are from surrounding areas to, to go through this experience with, and then also getting the benefit of those long-term members uh, to help guide us and mentor us through the process. So you know, I think there's a lot we can do together. It's been a great first week and have had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with all of those folks. So I'm excited for the Florida delegation. Great. Incoming speaker, I can say that I thank likely Kevin McCarthy from California. He outlined an agenda led by border security, taking on inflation, and crime. I remember reading the clips when you were a federal prosecutor and how you went after some very tough cases, including some, there were skinheads in Tampa, Florida, that were killing the homeless, and how tough that must have been to go through a case like that or other cases like that. When you talk about crime, law and order, stability. How important were those experiences in your past as a federal prosecutor and a public defender? You've been on both sides. How have those kind of prepared you well to take on that kind of issue? And I think where most Americans feel we need to do something more to make all of us feel secure out there. Those experiences do provide an insight into the reality of failing to implement and pursue uh, sensible criminal justice policy. Public safety is, you know, not just something that we should be sitting in a closed room talking about. Uh, you know, there are some of us in Congress, including myself, who have been really on the front lines of working in the criminal justice system and have seen firsthand what can go wrong when we fail to enforce our laws and when we fail to keep the community safe. You know, for me, my experience as a federal prosecutor certainly gave me examples time and again of what can happen when we have violent criminals, oftentimes recidivists, who end up back out in our community. And the results can be tragic. The southern border is a great example of this. You know, I think many times when Americans think about the southern border, they think about people, they think about families, they you know, coming across the southern border. But unfortunately, that's not where it begins and ends. You know, we also have people coming across who are incredibly dangerous. They're bringing with them human trafficking. They're bringing fentanyl. You know, things that are getting into every single community in America. And we've got to put a stop to that kind of individual. You know, at the U.S. Attorney's Office, we would see folks who came here illegally, committed serious federal offenses, were deported back to their home country, and then came back and did it again. And so we'd see them for the second time in our federal courts being prosecuted. So it is an issue that I care a lot about because, you know, the rest of us do deserve to have safe communities and protecting people from those who would seek to do them harm. You know, Speaker-designate McCarthy's commitment to America absolutely does include a focus on 
community safety. And that's something that I'm very much looking forward to being part of. It's very important that McCarthy has people like you, though, that have been there on the front line. It's one thing to look at an issue and say, yes, that's where I stand. It's another to have the experience of having stood up in the face of that and be able to lend some, not just a testimony and tribute to that, but maybe depth to the issue itself. And yes, McCarthy has clearly made this one of his top issues, and for good reason. I think Americans, you looked at the top issues in the campaign, crime, law and order, border security, those were right up there. They were. We heard it time and again from voters that they were very concerned, not just about economic issues, but also about securing the southern border and about ensuring that our communities were kept protected and safe. And, you know, for me, having had the opportunity for so many years uh, to work side by side with the men and women of law enforcement and, you know, unfortunately, to really see some of the you know horrible things that happen, you know, in addition to the case that you mentioned involving the, the skinheads and their brutal murders of some of our most defenseless citizens in the Tampa area. I also worked extensively on cases involving the sexual exploitation of children, children who were being trafficked, uh, children who were being just the things that, you know, certainly as any parent, you just never want to imagine happening. You know, and it's real. And we have to have people who are willing to fight that fight. Now that you're here in Congress, you've got a two-year term ahead of you. The Congress will be convening in January. At some point, though, you'll receive committee assignments. But beyond that, what issues really motivate you? What issues do you really want to have the most impact on during your congressional service? Well, we just touched on one of them. I do believe that, you know, criminal justice is an issue that will always be something that's important to me. Uh, and wherever I can be a champion on those issues, you know, I will be. Uh, another thing that, that is important to me is the concept of, of elections. Now, the federal role in that process is and should be limited. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I think we have a forum and an opportunity to talk to other states and state legislatures about how to do this properly and hopefully provide guidance and leadership on getting every state to where we finally got Florida. You know, we have the roadmap. We just need to get all these other states to follow it. Talk about influences in life. So beyond your mom and dad, who did so much in contributing back to the community and to the nation, I think of Ron DeSantis, who had an amazing night the other night, who is known increasingly for going against the grain to get things done because he feels it's right. And you have your husband, Tom Lee, who I'm very fond of, as you know, uh, who was a former Senate president, also with a reputation, a conservative with a reputation for independence and for doing what's right. So all those influences, how would those somewhat maybe helped you understand more clearly the path that you need to take? Well, yes. So you have just identified two people who have both had a really significant impact on uh, my vision of what it means to be a good public servant. Like, what are the types of attributes? What are those moments? You know, how do you really do this job and do it well? You know, Governor DeSantis not only has an incredible judgment about uh, what to do and when to do it, he's resolute. When he makes a decision, he will stick with it. And, And that is such a good quality in a leader. And my husband, Tom, yes, has been for so many years. First of all, I loved having, I loved being his constituent. I was always <laughs> proud of what he was doing. But for many years, for me, he has been an example of you know, really the best of public servants, that he never forgot 
his constituents. He never forgot who put him there and what was important to them. And those are the things he would stand up for. Those are the principles he would stand up for, even on the days it isn't easy. And, you know, that reminds me, you know, very much of being a judge. Because, you know, as a judge, of course, the role is very different. The role as a judge is to apply the law, not to make it, but to apply it. And there's some days that you like how that turns out. And there are other days you wish the law was written differently and you don't like how it turns out. But the job is always to do it, you know, to follow the law, whether it is an easy day to do it or a hard day to do it. The mission and the oath is always the same. Well, you know, you're now in a place where they make laws. Yes. This would be a very easy transition. It is. So this is very exciting because now if I think it needs to be changed, I actually might be able to have some influence on doing that. (laughs) As a lawyer myself, that's a really unique position to be in because you were in a position where you got to see kind of the good parts of trying to interpret the law and apply it and not make it. And some of the shortcomings, because sometimes the legislature or Congress can't really anticipate every single scenario that's going to happen. But with that experience, I think it's great. Forgive me for saying it's okay to have lawyers serving in Congress, but I was going to say even more judges, former judges serving in Congress as well, because they are the ones that have had to grapple with some of the, I'll say the shortcomings or deficiencies in the lawmaking process. And look, no, there's no perfect lawmaking process either, but I think that gives you a certain perspective that'll help you be a better member of Congress. It really does, because there are times where you can see as a judge, this isn't what they meant to do. But nonetheless, this is what it says. This is what I must do. So absolutely, I come to this process with a very keen awareness of just how important putting and instead of or or shall versus may. So, yes, the perspective of a judge on how to create law and try to anticipate what is going to happen out there in the world when it's applied, I I think is a very unique one. Has there anything that surprised you or that you weren't expecting since you've been elected as part of the process? Is there anything that so far, you know, given your just short time here in Washington that you've really kind of found a little bit surprising? I found it surprising just how hard it is to find your way around in the basement floors (laughs) of the office buildings. Yes, yes, it's a maze. (laughs) Yeah, that will come with time. (laughs) If you get lost down there, we'll find you, I promise you. Uh, Laurel Lee, public defender, federal prosecutor, judge, secretary of state, and now we're proud to say congresswoman-elect from the 15th District of Florida. Go get them. We wish you all the best. Thank you both for having me today. Thanks for being with us. Well, Adam, that was a really interesting conversation to have a perspective of someone who is newly, freshly minted member of Congress. What were your big takeaways from the conversation? The look in her eyes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you had that. It's fresh. New members of Congress, right? Full of optimism. You could see it in everything that Laurel was, you know, sharing with us and What was really cool was off camera and and after the interview, we were able to talk a little bit more about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that fascinating? It was fascinating. And the pandemic and the impact that it's had 
on our electoral system. And some states handled it better than others in terms of how they went about the elections process. Florida still had their elections in 2020 during the, the height of the pandemic, the worst part of the pandemic. And now we're still seeing the impacts. If you look at other states, the amount of mail-in voting that's taking place now compared to before the pandemic in some states like Pennsylvania and Nevada are much, much higher. Yep. So I think the pandemic has permanently changed the way some people will vote. Some people will never walk into a polling booth ever again. They're going to continue to vote by mail. But I think one of my big takeaways was, and we were both there in 2000 during the Florida recounts, uh, yeah. and that was a low point for Florida elections. But now, how rewarding is it for us that we are now, Florida is now the gold standard, according to Steve Forbes, for how elections should be run in this country. I think they called the election for Governor DeSantis and Senator Rubio at 8.01, right? right? It's like one minute after the polls had closed in the uh, panhandle. That says a lot to people who are concerned about the integrity of the election process. And Laurel Lee, who came into the Secretary of State's office after having served as a public defender, a federal prosecutor, a judge, she was very seasoned and very ready to hit the ground running. And she was serving with Governor DeSantis, who is right. a charge-the-hill kind of guy. I think it led to what we saw the other night, which was a system that works that breeds confidence. And of course, you know, she now has a message that she can take with her into Congress right. on election reform and election integrity that isn't off a position paper. It's from real experience. Right. And the way Florida did, there aren't any conspiracy theories about the result of Florida's elections. And some of these other states, I think, are introducing the possibility of doubt and conspiracy theories when it takes them more than a week to count all the votes. So we're very fortunate to have Florida be the model that it is. The other thing that I took away from her conversation conversation was her role as a judge and how that is going to impact her ability to be a, a better, in my view, a better legislator because she's had to deal with the receiving end of having to interpret some of these laws, <laughs> uh, not from Congress, but from the state legislature. So now she's going to be in this position. And also, given her background, I don't think it was a surprise to hear her say that she wants to focus on criminal justice issues, election issues, but recognizing the federal government has a limited role in terms of elections are conducted at the state level, but maybe uh, sharing information and helping tell states or share with states how other states are doing it and some making some recommendations along those regards. You learn a lot from those you're around, you grow up with. With Laurel Lee, her parents, you know, her dad was a two-star general in the Air Force. Mom taught public school for 31 years. And now she's married to Tom Lee, the former state Senate president in Florida, who is awesome. He's a true conservative and a desire, a drive almost to get things done and to do things the right way. She has these influences and the governor, right. who is, you know, kind of the talk of the nation right now. She has armed with all of those, Justin, going into her first assignments in Congress. When you think about preparation, could someone be better prepared no, than that? Given her experience in the state capitol as a court judge, as a prosecutor, as a public defender, and working for Governor DeSantis in a very successful administration, she's going to be one to keep an eye on. I think she's going to really have a big impact here in Washington. Well, apparently we have to keep more than an eye on her because she says that she's already gotten lost in the maze of, <laughs> of the basements that are underneath the house office buildings. She may need a GPS or a guide for the first couple of weeks to get That's through. That's not that. a bad idea for an app to have an underground <laughs> map uh, with GPS connected to it for those in the new members of Congress. Well, we have a new Congress 
We have a new Washington, which happens not so coincidentally after every election. And I think, you know, America maybe has a lot to, to look forward to. And it will be a very interesting, if not very different, environment here moving forward. Completely different. So we'll definitely keep an eye on it. As always, good show. Don't miss future episodes by following us on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. Or go to the YouTube channel where you can subscribe for free. 